Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Candid Catholic Convos. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, and today we're talking about Thanksgiving. (laughs) Poor Thanksgiving. It's such a forgotten holiday anymore, because honestly, it's hard to market gratitude. If you're grateful, you don't really need much. And in a consumer-driven economy, we need people to need stuff, right? It's so tough to market gratitude that most retail stores ignore it almost entirely. Some stores even had Christmas things out before Halloween rolled around. And after Halloween, we jump right to Christmas music on the radio. And with so much still going on in our world, it's hard not to. Let's just jump to the next fun thing, right? Why would you want to reflect? What do you even have to be thankful for this year anyway? A lot of us are still dealing with the restrictions of COVID. Maybe we've been out of work, lost a loved one, and it seems everywhere we turn, we find more bad news. Why should we pause and be thankful? Well, for starters, the Eucharist, the entire basis of our Catholic faith, actually means thanksgiving. This means gratitude is essential to who we are as Catholics because God himself is a gift. We are able to partake in him, in his gift, every time we receive the Eucharist. And every time we receive this gift, we become more generous, more giving. We overflow with love and generosity. Maybe not immediately, but it does happen over time. It's why we love stories like A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge begins as this greedy, selfish character, and goes through this shift to become more generous, more thankful for everything he has. For my younger audience, the first Iron Man movie explores this concept well. Tony Stark starts as this self-absorbed billionaire who cares nothing for anyone but himself, a very Scrooge-like figure. And we watch as he goes through this conversion of being selfish to being grateful, grateful to even take a breath. And out of that comes his mission to give back to others. Thanks and gratitude turns into generosity towards others. Acts 20 to 25. It is better to give than to receive. So let's get back to Thanksgiving as a holiday and take a journey through a story you may or may not know. We've all heard of Squanto, the Native American from the Pawtuxet tribe who helped save the pilgrims. He taught them how to hunt and plant and sheltered themselves from the elements. And, to thank him, the pilgrims had a celebration, which we commonly call the first Thanksgiving. Sound familiar? Here's the part of the story that you may not know, that I just learned recently myself. Squanto actually means the wrath of God. And when I learned more about his life, at first glance, it certainly seemed like his life was a reflection of his name. When he was roughly 12 to 14 years old, Squanto and several other Pawtuxet tribe members were lured onto a ship by Captain Thomas Hunt and made slaves. 
Thomas Hunt sold Squanto to a couple of guys in Spain, where he lived for a few years before being sent to England, where he lived for another few years before making his way to Newfoundland. He stayed in Newfoundland for another couple years before finally making it back to what we now know as Plymouth Rock. When he finally got home, he learned his entire family, his entire tribe, everyone he'd ever known, was dead. They had been decimated by disease. The neighboring tribe, the Mesozoic, went from being a tribe of 10,000 strong to a tribe of less than 1,000. Reluctantly, they took Squanto, the wrath of God, under their wing. A few weeks later, the pilgrims arrived. So the Massasoit sent the new guy to go deal with these Englishmen, and he eventually succumbed to disease and died. Tragic, right? Stay with me, though. I promise the story gets better. Squanto's whole life seems to be marked by tragedy. Couldn't we all say that? At some point in our lives, we journey through tragedy. We don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. We think this is just how it's supposed to be and it will never get better. So we become bitter and resentful. But I want to challenge your thought process here. You can choose to see it as a tragedy. Or you can choose to look at it as a blessing in disguise. As something to be thankful for. Let's back up. So Squanto was sold into slavery, right? During that time, Pope Paul III had issued a papal bull, or a decree, that prohibited slavery in any Catholic country. And Spain, at the time, was one of the most Catholic of them all. He said, The native peoples are true human beings, and every effort on the part of the Europeans to interfere with their lives has to be directed towards their good. In no way were the Europeans to exploit them. Thomas Hunt brings Squanto to Spain, and he's quote-unquote sold to two Jesuit priests. I say sold in quotes because they actually bought him in order to set him free. They brought him home, gave him food and shelter, and taught him the faith. And more than likely, he was baptized by them as well because it's documented that he was, in fact, a Catholic convert. The priests sent him to England as a free man because, at the time, that was his best shot at getting home to the Americas. When he got there, he stayed with a man named John Stanley, who took him in and taught him English. After a few years of working together and scraping and saving, John Stanley was able to get Squanto on a boat, but the best he could do was get him to Newfoundland. Once in Newfoundland, Squanto met a man named Thomas Herder, who took him into his home, fed him, clothed him, and worked with him. After about two years, they were finally able to get Squanto home to Plymouth Rock, but unfortunately, by the time he had gotten back, his family has died. So he turned to the Massasoit tribe, and they hesitantly took him in. Then, the pilgrims arrived. Imagine being a pilgrim, getting off that boat, thinking, what did I just get myself into? There's no way I'm going to be able to survive here or make it through this winter. I have no idea what to do and nowhere to go. And out of the woods walks a native who not only knows how to hunt, fish, and plant, but also speaks perfect English. He was no longer the wrath of God. He was an instrument of God. God works through our suffering. Your suffering could ultimately lead to someone else having life. First Theologians chapter 5, verse 8. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
in everything, be thankful. This hits home personally for me. Before I was blessed with my three boys, my husband and I went through a season of infertility, and it lasted a long time. We finally conceived roughly three years later, and that same week my husband left for boot camp with the army, we suffered a miscarriage. I felt hopeless and defeated and angry. I remember going to confession and practically yelling at this poor priest. How could God let this happen to me? What did I do wrong? I sank my grief into creating images and sharing my story online for no other reason than cathartic release. Then one of my friends came to me. She was also experiencing infertility with her husband. Then another. She'd lost her baby. And another who'd lost her baby. And so on. It wasn't until I was far enough removed from my grief that I realized, that's why. I had to wait. I had to lose in order to help my friends. I had to experience it first. I had to learn how to be strong so I could be strong for them when they needed me. I became God's instrument. God works through our suffering. This Thanksgiving, and every day, honestly, I want to challenge you to find gratitude and give thanks to God in everything. Think on this for a minute. Imagine if God took away everything you never said thank you for. Seriously, what if God took away everything you never said thank you for? And I don't just mean the big stuff. I mean the things we take for granted on a daily basis. The things we don't even think about until they're gone. Like we don't think about our health until we're sick. Or we don't think about the fact that we can run or walk until our knees hurt, right? What are some ways we can practice appreciation for all the gifts God has given us? How can we really cultivate a disposition of gratitude daily, not just on Thanksgiving? One of the things that's really popular now and that I especially like is a gratitude journal. Each day, you write a couple of things that you're grateful for, and it can be anything. Most journal practices tell you to focus on things that happened within the last 24 hours. But if we really want to drill down into all the gifts God has given us, let's try this. Twice a day, morning and evening, think of just four things you're thankful for. They can be big. They can be small. They can be whatever you're feeling at the moment. You just need four things. Then when you have your four things, you turn to God and just say, thank you. Just thank you. We have got to thank for all these blessings in our lives, these big or small things we are feeling grateful for at this particular moment. Imagine God just handing you a wrapped package with this gift of whatever it is you're thankful for inside, and you just look at him like you'd look at anyone who'd just given you a gift and say thank you. First Theologians chapter 5 verse 8 doesn't say, only be thankful when you feel like it. It says, in everything. In all things, be thankful. When you practice gratitude, you are choosing to recognize God's hand in every aspect of your life, even in the midst of your pain and suffering. Not only will this practice change your morning and evening, you'll start to notice this will literally change your whole day. The entire day becomes an opportunity for you to give thanks. Thanks for being able to take a breath or being able to hear me talking to you right now, you will start to see blessings everywhere. Your life will become a life of praise and thanksgiving. 
So maybe your way of giving thanks is by starting a gratitude journal to recognize all you have. Or maybe it's by giving back to others like Tony Stark and Ebenezer Scrooge. It's better to give than to receive, right? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, Whatever you do for the least of my brothers, you do for me. And I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. On November 21st, the Diocese of Harrisburg will host our annual Matthew 25 collection. This special collection benefits those in need of the basic essentials of food, shelter, and clothing through grants for food banks, family support centers, and shelters. Since its inception in 2010, the Matthew 25 collection has provided grants for more than 50 organizations, exceeding $2.4 million. Healthy Steps Diaper Bank, New Hope Ministries, Domestic Violence Services of Cumberland and Perry Counties, Our Lady Food Bank. These and many other organizations throughout the diocese are helping people in need because of your generosity. You can help fight poverty, hunger, and homelessness right here in our diocese by simply making a donation to the Matthew 25 collection this Sunday, November 21st. You can come home to your church and place your gift in the collection basket or visit us online at hbgdiocese.org slash Matthew 25 and click the Make Your Gift button. You can also give to Catholic Charities. Our local organization offers help, hope, and support to thousands of individuals in 15 counties, providing social services to people of all faiths at little or no cost to them. And they have lots of ways you can donate. Obviously, a financial donation goes a long way, but you can also volunteer or attend an event. They have social service internships, and you can even donate your car. They have a wish list available on their website, cchbg.org slash get dash involved, which shows all the tangible things they're in need of as well. God is the reason we have anything in life. Our very existence is a gift. The more we go to Mass and profess our love for Christ's sacrifice in the Eucharist, the more we give thanks every day, the more God will reveal his blessings around us. Before I let you go, I just want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And I want to leave you with a special message from Bishop Ronald Gaynor about the importance of Thanksgiving and Advent, which is right around the corner. I want to take this opportunity to wish each and every one of you watching and listening a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving. This time of the year gives all of us an opportunity to reflect on our many blessings, like our families and friends, our health, and especially our Catholic faith. I remember Happy Thanksgivings when I was a child. One of the things that always signaled that Thanksgiving was around the corner was this big crock that would come up somewhere in the cellar. And uh, the day before Thanksgiving, the turkey would go into a bath there, a brine. I have no idea what was put into it. I know there was salt, but other things as well. And, and it would stay there for about 24 hours until it was time to prepare it for the oven. And we really did have one of my favorite Thanksgiving foods was stuffing. And it, it, it is technically the filling, the bread filling that's put inside the turkey. I know today it's not recommended to do that for health reasons, but we certainly used to do it. And it was my favorite part. It was so moist and flavorful. So 
but our Thanksgiving Day also began before preparing the wonderful meal of Thanksgiving with the sacred meal of the Eucharist. Uh, I believe it was about nine o'clock. Uh, our parish would have a mass and we would always come to our church, Mary Queen of Peace, uh, for mass and Holy Communion before we came home for the preparations of uh, the Thanksgiving meal. And I, I could almost, in my mind, smell the beautiful aromas of all those wonderful foods um, growing up. And I'm sure, I hope, that those same aromas will fill your homes or wherever you gather today, uh, this week, for uh, your Thanksgiving celebration. I pray all of you will have many blessings, not only this Thanksgiving, but throughout the year to come. Shortly after we celebrate Thanksgiving, the fall decorations will come down and we will turn our attention to Christmas. In the weeks leading up to Christmas and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate the season of Advent. So let's take a look at the meaning of this new liturgical year and the first season of the church year known as Advent. The word itself comes from a Latin word, adventus, uh, that means uh, a coming or approach. And the season itself is divided into two sections, both of them about a coming or an approach, an advent. The very first part and the longest part, really, of the season is about the coming of our Lord at the end of time, uh, the approach that Jesus will make at the end of human history when he returns in majesty and glory to establish the Father's reign over the new creation. And so the very first part of Advent recalls the second coming of Christ, his approach at the end of time. Beginning on December the 17th, the, the last seven or eight days, of, uh, seven days of the Advent season, we have a, a different um, emphasis or theme in those final days of Advent, and that is the approach or the coming of the incarnate Son of God at Bethlehem, our Lord's birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, at Bethlehem. And so the final part of Advent is our immediate preparation for the celebration of Christmas. One of the distinctive things about that second part of Advent are what are called the O Antiphons. Those texts are familiar to us from the, I guess, what is maybe our favorite or certainly most familiar Advent hymn, and that is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And those various verses are really very ancient. They come from the 8th or the 9th century uh, monastic uh, chants, a plain chant, that were sung before and after the Magnificat in the monasteries, um, during these latter days of Advent. And they come down to us most familiarly now in that, in that favorite Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But they began in the eighth or ninth century as the antiphons before and after the Magnificat in Vespers that were sung by the monks. And those are one of the features uh, during the later days of the Advent season. So, O Wisdom, O Adonai, O Key of David, all beautiful Old Testament images and titles that can be applied to Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, as we prepare for his coming, his birth uh, at Bethlehem. So those are the two 
facets, the two uh, parts, you might say, of the whole uh, Advent season, both of them preparing for the approach or the coming of our Lord. One of the traditional and I think wonderful symbols of the Advent season is the Advent wreath. Uh, we see them in church. Um, and what I really like about it, though, is that it is a devotion that can be right in our own homes on our family tables. And the family can gather uh, each Advent day, uh, say a prayer, maybe sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or another appropriate Advent hymn, and, and count the days before the celebration of Christmas as a family, a family of believers. So we do it in our churches, but we can also have this devotion in our homes. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the family to pray together and prepare together for the celebration of our Lord's birth. It, the wreath is, is very symbolic. It, it's a circle that reminds us of the endlessness of uh, the, the kingdom of God uh, the, without, and, and of Jesus who's coming without beginning or without end, the circle of the wreath. The, the evergreens um, remind us uh, of, of life, something that's very much alive, and, and the Christ who came to us to bring us new life. And typically there are four candles on the Advent wreath. Uh, there are three purple candles and one rose-colored or pink-colored candle. Um, purple is the color, the liturgical color of Advent. And we know that those are the, the, the colors you'll see in the sanctuary uh, on the altar, perhaps, or in decorations. Also the vestments of the priest and the deacon. The purple of Advent is different than the purple of Lent. The Lenten purple is a reminder of penance, uh, sorrow uh, for our sins. The, the purple of Advent is to remind us of that purple that we sometimes see in the sky uh, at the sunrise. Just before the sun rises, the sky turns purple. That, that's meant to be the Advent purple, one of anticipation, uh, one of waiting and longing. And so it's not so much penitential as it is a color to remind us of our longing for the coming of Christ. The one rose candle or the pink candle is uh, lit on the third Sunday of the Advent season, which is a Sunday of joy. The, the uh, antiphon that uh, begins the liturgy is about rejoicing because we're getting nearer to the celebration of Christmas. And so pink or rose is the color of joy. And that's the third candle that is uh, lit uh, on the Sunday of joy or Gaudete, as it is known in Latin, the Sunday of Gaudete, the third Sunday of Advent. But the Advent wreath in and of itself is a wonderful way of marking the progress of time as we get closer and closer to the celebration of Christmas. You'll notice, too, uh, uh, something different about the masses during the Advent season, and that is that the Gloria, the glory to God in the highest, is omitted, um, except on a solemnity, December the 8th, it will be sung. But in general, in Advent masses, even on Sundays in Advent, we don't sing the glory to God. The reason is, remember where the, the beginning of that beautiful hymn that we sing very often uh, at Mass, uh, we find it in the second chapter of Luke, 
uh, verse 14. And Luke tells us there that after the shepherds received the message from the angels, there was a whole multitude, a host of heavenly angels who sing out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill. So this is the song of the angels at the birth of Christ. And so we kind of fast from singing that, the glory to God in the highest, the Gloria at Mass during Advent, so that it can ring out in a fresh way, uh, in a new way, when we sing it at uh, Christmas. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday. Studies show that people who pray regularly and practice their faith are healthier and happier. I'm Bishop Ronald Gaynor. I want to invite you to experience a positive difference in your life by visiting your Catholic parish and encountering Jesus through the sacraments. Do it for your family. Do it for yourself and come home. Remember that God's mercy is and always will be there for you, no matter what your situation. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org to find a parish near you. I'm pregnant. I can't focus. What am I going to do with my baby? My kids are hungry. I can't work. I'm scared. I can't go home. Can somebody somebody help help me? In desperate times, there's a place for hope. Catholic Charities. We help families, children, and those in crisis throughout central Pennsylvania, regardless of your faith. Providing help. Creating hope. Catholic Charities. This program is made possible locally by donations to the Catholic Communication Campaign and the Diocese of Harrisburg. Visit us on the web at hbgdiocese.org.